Amen. If you have your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter number 18. It will begin in verse number 1. While you're turning there, I'm going to do it just because I got the microphone and he can't say nothing about it. But Uncle Doug, I love you. I appreciate you. You and Aunt Bridget love you all so much. Amen. Jeremiah 18 and 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. Somebody say the word marred. In the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Amen. Would you lay your Bibles down beside you and just lift your hands one more time and ask God to anoint the remainder of this service. Almighty God, we love you today, Jesus. God, I pray the power of your spirit to move in this room. God, I pray the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody, lift your voice right now and pray in the spirit. Lift your voice right now and let be whatever it's going to be right now in this moment. I understand service schedules. I understand things are to be done decently in order, but there is a current of the Holy Ghost flowing in this room right now. That's it. Somebody go ahead and let the Holy Ghost move. Lift your voice and just pray right now. I can tell you what's about to happen in this room. There is about to be unprecedented restoration. There are people under the sound of my voice that you are about to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. And it's been some time, but God is fixing to send fresh oil. God is fixing to light fresh fire in this room. And if you need that in your world right now, you ought to lift your voice. God, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. Mm. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You can stand. You can do whatever you want to do. It was the Lord that told Jeremiah to arise and go. He also told Noah to go forth into the ark. He told Moses to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He told Abraham to take your promised son and go up the mountain. He told Joshua, as we spoke this morning, to go to a promised land. He told the 120 to go into an upper room. We give God every excuse and every reason of why we are stuck in the rut in the routine of mundane repetition but I've come to tell somebody today that all you need to do is to rise up and go God's already paved the way God's already paid your fare and God's already made it accessible to his people I don't care what the world may say God's already prepared a way for this church to see end time harvest I want you to know something that this church is already destined and ordained by God to see the greatest revivals we've ever seen, we're going to have to get up and go. You can't give God a minimum and expect a maximum in return. It does not work that way. But I assure you today, as they say it in Deweyville, you can't outgive God and you can't outstingy God. His hands are way bigger than ours. 
And I assure you today that if you'll open up and give, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about give of yourself, your mind, your heart, your soul, your body, your strength, every opportunity that the doors are open, you ought to be here. Because I find that when I'm not here, I miss the service that I needed. I find that when I'm not here and I go back to the live stream or I get the recording of it and I find out, man, I really needed that. And, and it, it's way better. You remember COVID. There's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. It was great. I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful for what we were able to do. I was a part of preaching online and things like that. But there is nothing that replaces being in the house of the Lord. The Bible says that iron sharpen iron. And if our iron's not in the same place together, we can't sharpen one another. Amen. We need one another. We need to be in the house of the Lord. But here in our opening text, we find that Jeremiah is in the potter's house. And, and in the fourth verse of our opening text, we see the word that he used. He said he saw that the vessel was marred in the hands of the potter. That word marred means it was flawed. That word marred means it had imperfections. It showed places where it wasn't as smooth as maybe as it once was. And it wasn't as perfect as maybe the rest of the vessel was. But as verse number 4 continues and Jeremiah speaking of the potter, he says, So he made it again a new vessel, another vessel. Yes, the vessel was less than perfect. Yes, the vessel had flaws. Yes, the vessel probably needed some touch-up and some work. However, this potter did not look at this vessel and say that it had lost value. He did not look at this vessel and say because of flaws and imperfections, I can no longer use you. He didn't take a vessel and throw it away and start with another vessel. But in the right hands, flaws and imperfections were able to be mended. And I've come by the help of the Holy Ghost to preach tonight. God wants to take us from marred to mended. There are people in this room right now that your life has been marred by mistakes. Your life has been marred by outside things that happened that we didn't see coming down the road. And we've been hit from this side and we've been hit from that side and the vessel has been marred and there's flaws and imperfections but the hand of God's about to reach down into your world and soon the flaws are going to be smoothed over and the imperfections are going to be cast as far as the east is from the west God wants to restore in this room he didn't throw the vessel away and say it's too messed up I can't work with it it has imperfections thus leaves it useless it's flawed and thus no longer of value the potter did not allow the imperfections to disqualify the clay and if there has ever been a place where it's more strange but yet more needed to be in the house of God, it's right here in this altar. The most awkward but yet the most beneficial place of the church house that we could ever be. Because the reality is if I go down here, then pastor, I've got problems. If I go down here, pastor, I've done something wrong. And we've allowed the opinions of others and the stigma of what the outlook may be to keep us from getting into the place where the miracles happen, to keep us from getting into the place where God wants to do something for us. I've never understood, and I used to do the same thing. Every time I messed up, I'd run out the back doors, and it'd be weeks before they would see me. 
because I allowed the adversary to saddle me with guilt and with shame and I allowed the adversary to drive me out of the only place that could help me. I've come to tell you today our altars are not closed, our altars are not shut down but yet our altars are still functioning and they are open. Don't you dare let the devil tell you just because you come down here you got things messed up. It's okay. I know it's a little slower than this morning. We're going somewhere. Just stay with me. Why you preachers always want people in the front? Well, there's a special kind of carpet up here massages your feet while you're standing up here. My God, 15 of them almost jumped up and come running, and then they realized I was joking. No, you want to know why this is the best place to be? It's because from there you can hide. It's from there you can sit in your comfort zone. It's from there you can hang out and just fake it until you make it. We can walk in and smile at the pastor and say everything's fine. But it's all about a step of faith. I know God's omnipresent. I know God's omnipotent. I know he's powerful. And the same God that moves in the altars, the same God that can move in your car, the same God that's filled people with the Holy Ghost at home. But it's something to be said about a step of faith. There are two things that God absolutely cannot pass up. Number one is praise. God cannot pass up praise. He lives in it. He inhabits it. He dwells there. And the second thing God cannot pass up is faith. Faith literally drives God. Faith literally moves God. Because faith says even though the world says it can't, I still believe that it can. Even though the diagnosis says it's not what I want it to be, I still believe that God's going to heal me. Even though I may have pain in my body, I believe that the next time I lift my hands, that pain's going to leave. Hey, faith says in the eyes of everything that says it's impossible, I still believe that with God all things are possible. Jeremiah 18 and 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand. God always used parables. Jesus, when he walked this earth, he spoke in parables, and he would take a natural and relate it to a spiritual. And here it's the very same thing. There was sin in the camp of Judah, in the tribe of Judah. And Jeremiah is asking God to help me, to spare me, and deliver me from this destruction that you are about to rain down upon our tribe. Give me a word, God. Show me something. So the Lord said, okay, if you want out of this destruction, then I want you to head down to the potter's house. And the very first thing that Jeremiah notices is what we know notice every day every day you get up and you notice the flaws you notice the imperfections you notice the things that aren't the way they used to be and I'm not just talking about in the physical but in the spiritual we wake up and we feel the flaws We feel the imperfections. We feel the voids and the hurts and everything that's going on around us. And when people walk into our church house, if we're not careful, the very first thing we notice about them is the flaws and the imperfections. But never forget that we are that same vessel full of flaws and imperfections. Ah, preacher, I'm safe. I go to church. Yeah, the coin was in the house too. But yet, what does the parable about the coin say? It's called the lost coin. It was still in the parameters of the house. It was still in the building, but yet it was lost. The prodigal son that stayed at home, not the prodigal son, the prodigal son's brother that stayed at home was just as lost as the one that ran away because of his imperfections. I've come to tell you today that you better plant your feet in the truth and square your shoulders and live for God with everything that you got because it's just as easy to be lost on a church pew as it is 
is on a bar stool, but we got to make up our mind in this last days. God, this vessel may be flawed. This vessel may have imperfections, but I'm going to put it back in the hands of the potter. As Isaiah 53 and 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank God he didn't lay our iniquities on us. Isaiah 64, 6 through 8, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And, all, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. And verse 8, but now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou our potter. And we are all the work of thy hand when your car breaks down you don't call an electrician not a single person in this room is going to have car trouble and pull into Chick-fil-A and ask them if they can fix your radiator if anybody was going to do it it may be Chick-fil-A they just might be able to pull that off and they'll probably get it done in 10 minutes I don't know what they've done, but they have revolutionized fast food and especially in a drive through line. So they very well may be able to do it for you. But common sense, when it can, and when there's electrical problems in your home, you don't call the plumber because the plumber's not about to fix your electrical work. So then why are you putting your soul in the hands of people that have got no, uh, no cost on the line for your soul? Why in the world are you listening to voices on podcasts and, and on music and on YouTube and all across social media? media that's trying to speak into your world that has not paid a price for you I'm going to take my soul to the one that said I'll die for it I'm going to take my soul to the one that said I'll leave all of heaven's glory and splendor and I'll robe myself in a fleshly body I'll take a beating and I'll die and raise again so that imperfect vessels can go from marred to mended Distractions are the greatest destruction of our lives. Where did Adam and Eve go wrong? When Eve bit the fruit? No. Uh-uh. And men, I know y'all were getting ready to jump behind me and really help me preach because I was fixing to lay the blame to every woman in this building. But the reality is he was there because the Bible said she ate and gave also unto her husband. He was there, but that's not where it went wrong at. It went wrong when Eve was letting a voice speak into her life that had no business speaking into her world. That subtle serpent started speaking and she turned an ear to it. That's where it all started going wrong. And that day's distraction turned in to tomorrow's destruction. And there are distractions going on in your world that are contrary to your word of God and they're contrary to your man of God. They're not there to help you. They're not there to better you. They're not there to show you another way. It's trying to distract you and destroy you because we understand today that there is no other way. There's only one God. There's only one plan of salvation and Paul said though we are an angel come preaching any other gospel, let them be accursed. The adversary is trying to distract you so you will destroy yourself. There are people in this congregation right now that feel as if you are damaged. 
that feel as if there is no hope for you, that feel as if though the vessel has too many imperfections and I am marred beyond restoration. The word damage means beyond repair. Damaged things get thrown away. You may be marred, yes. You may have imperfections. You may have some flaws, but the reality is you can still be mended. People in this congregation carry the weight of guilt and shame on your shoulders because of things that were beyond your control. Carrying the weight of things that happened around you that you became subject to and now you are marred by what happened around you. People in this room marred by poor choices in the heat of a battle and it's left you wounded and hurting and feeling like you cannot come back home. There are people in this congregation that you have been marred by people you trusted. People that were supposed to be there for you and when you needed them the most, they were nowhere to be found. Get ready for this one because there are people in this congregation that are marred by people in this congregation. Church hurts real. Church hurt happens. But you've got to understand today we've got to get to a place where we forgive and we move closer to God. It's a distraction by the enemy trying to keep you mad about something that happened months ago, years ago, or so long ago. You can't remember what it, what it was or when it was, but you remember what it was. But right now in this hour, I feel the winds of restoration beginning to blow across this place because there are people right now that are marred vessels and God's about to mend your mind he's about to mend your spirit he's about to restore you and renew you because when you put your hands in the your life in the hands of the potter anything is possible in the hands of the potter deliverance happens in the hands of the potter restoration happens in the hands of the potter the lost become the found anything is possible in the hands of the potter 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. God's not trying to start over without you. God's trying to start over in you. He's not looking to remove you and have somebody fill your seat. I'm sorry if you thought church was a place for perfect people who had it all together. That where we came in here without any baggage, we came in here without any problems. Uh, you know what revival looks like? Revival looks messy, Pastor. Revival looks like people from broken homes. Revival looks like people that yesterday were out so high out of their mind they didn't know where they were, but something led them to this place. You better start making room for people that don't look like you. People that don't know what you know. People that don't know how to do anything but come in here and just enjoy the presence of God. This is not a place for perfect people, but this is a place where imperfect vessels go from a state of being marred to mended. I wonder if I got anybody in the room that could testify. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was undone, but now I'm put together. I didn't deserve mercy. I didn't deserve grace, but thank God he didn't throw the vessel away. Instead, he took me from marred to mended 
I got to let somebody know you don't get your ducks in a row and then come to God. Well, I got to get this in order. I got to get this in order. I got to get this in order. And then I'm going to come to church. Then I'm going to start living for God. Fooey on that nonsense. It don't work that way. It's never worked that way. And it's never going to work that way. You come to the house of God. And God will forgive you. God will restore you. And God will start ordering your stuff. The problem is, if we try to put ourselves in order before coming to God, then how can he order our steps? He orders our steps. And when you come to God, He'll put your life in order. He'll give you peace in your mind, joy in your soul, strength in your spirit. But you got to get your hand, your life in the hands of the potter. I've got to let somebody know, and I'm almost done. I preach about as long as I am tall. Don't take very long to get there. When you give your life to God, He don't start over with a new vessel. There are people under the sound of my voice, you've been living for God for double-digit years. And you're marred. And you're hurting. The reality is there are so many saints of God who are silently suffering because we're ashamed to say, I need prayer. Because we're ashamed to step into an altar while the Spirit's flowing because this means I got sin in my life. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest moments of my life are stepping into an altar while the presence of God is flowing and just saying, God, I want to feel your presence. God, I don't need anything. I'm not asking for nothing. I just want to step into your presence, God. We have got to get away from the stigma that the altar means something's wrong, that the altar means something's bad. But the beautiful thing is if there is something bad, if there is something wrong, then the altar's the best place to take it because God is a God of restoration. God's not a God of starting over. God's a God of renewing. He's taking what's broken and he's making it something more beautiful. I want every young person in the room to look at this preacher right now. I just got voted youth president. I got to talk to the young people, right? You do not have to go out and live a life full of sin to be effective in the kingdom of God. Thanks, Mom and Dad. I appreciate you. What's happening to our young people today are they're being lied to by the enemy to think that they've got to go out and they've got to try every drug and they've got to live like the world and they've got to try that lifestyle to have a testimony that says God still does the comeback. I'm thankful that God's merciful. I'm thankful that God breaks addictions. But the greatest testimony any of you young people could ever have is truth is all I've ever known. The greatest testimony you could ever have is living for God's all I've ever experienced. The greatest thing you could do is say, I don't know what drugs are. I don't know what alcohol is. But I know what it's like to be drunk in the spirit. I know what it's like when the Holy Ghost falls. I know what it's like to live for God. The greatest testimony you could have is God. God has always been fighting for me. But for those of us that that's not our testimony, thank God he restores. We could pass this microphone around this congregation and people in this room could tell story after story after story. And we would run out of time before people would just be ready to go home of how God brought you back 
and how God restored you and how God renewed you and how God forgave you. I'm thankful for the mercy of God and somebody in this room right now. I know I'm not preaching to everybody. That's the way you at least feel. But there are people in this room, all across this room, in every stage of your life of living for God, that God wants to mend some things in your world. Yeah, you've been able to come and you've been able to worship. You've been able to show up faithfully. But there is some stuff buried so deep down inside. I wanted to preach another message. I sat in your office for 15 minutes just picking up other messages. Oh, that one will preach. Woo, we'll preach the paint off the walls with that one. And I said, God, I'm not interested in just preaching a sermon that's preached good somewhere else. But God, give me a word for this people. Give me a word to minister into somebody's life. And I believe that there is a spirit of restoration in this room. I don't know. I thought I saw the praise team coming. I want them to go ahead and come if they're not already on the way. Would you stand with me all across this room? I want somebody to know that your failures don't disqualify God. If failures disqualified you from the Spirit of God and what God wanted to do, then why would this word record scriptures like, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when? It's not a license to sin. It's not condoning sinful nature and sinful lifestyle. But what it does mean is the fall is going to happen. What it does mean is we're going to be human. What it does mean is mistakes happen and we end up in a place that we never wanted to be. Rejoice not against me, oh, my enemy, for when I fall. It's not about the fall. It's what you do after the fall. And some of you have been laying there with guilt and shame, wallowing around in self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself because you made some mistakes. Mistakes happen. Get up and fight. Accidents happen. Get up and live for God. I know it didn't work out the way you thought it should and the devil's been partying somebody ought to tell him devil it's time to shut the party down I'm getting up and I'm going to live for God I'm getting up and I'm going to fight again a just man falls seven and rises eight somebody get up get up get up if God's not a God of restoration then please explain to me the story of Rahab whom the Bible calls a harlot whom many of us in this room today we're not inviting her out to lunch because her lifestyle is messed up but yet you flip in your word to the hall of faith Hebrews chapter 11 and who do you find? Rahab the lineage of Jesus Christ actually flowed through the genealogy of Rahab Leah, who was the unwanted daughter because of her ailment, identified by her predicament. The Bible says she was tender-eyed, which means she had either a severe lazy eye or she was severely cross-eyed to the point that it was noticeable that made her unwanted to those around her. All her life she had to deal with this, and even now in marriage she's having to deal with not being wanted by her husband. But God starts blessing God starts giving her children and her fourth child she named Judah which we know means praise and Jesus Christ came through the tribe of Judah from the unwanted wife from the unwanted daughter the unwanted friend the one that was marred with imperfections in the vessel and yet God said that's who I want my lineage to go through Jonah ran as far geographically as he could 
He ran out of earth. He ran so far. And then he told them, I know why the storm's here. It's me. Throw me overboard and let me die. Jonah was to a place that he was ready to end his life. And I'll tell you without getting into the details, my children are in the room. Been there. To the point I still feel what I was about to do. When a voice called to me and said, I still love you. I had lost all hope. I felt that I was an embarrassment to everybody around me. And yet God still saw something in me. That's good. That's people that lived in sin. That's people that lived messed up lives. Okay, let's talk about David. David, the one that was mighty enough to kill a lion and a bear and take down a giant of Gath called Goliath when the whole army was hiding. But David ran out there. It's this same David after the anointing, after the ascension to the throne of king that fell into sin with Bathsheba. And it would yet be known that David became a man after God's own heart. You want to know why David was able to become a man after God's own heart after sin? Because David found a place of repentance. David did what Saul did not do. David found a place to repent. David found a place to say, God, I'm marred. God, I messed up. God, I've got imperfections. God, i got flaws. But I surrender myself unto you. And the list could go on and on and on. Tell me how one man that's credited with writing over the half of the New Testament used to murder Christians. Used to imprison them. Used to lock them up and mock them and make fun of them just simply for living for God. Singers, go ahead and come to. Give me some help and them some hope. And on his road to Damascus where he had papers in hand to destroy more Christians. He had an encounter with an almighty God. And Saul was transformed into the man we know as Paul. But go further into that story. While Paul was blind, God speaks to Ananias. And he said, Ananias, there's a man by the name of Saul and he's praying right now. Before Saul was ever converted, he was praying and fasting. How much more should the saints of God? Another message for another time. Just throw that in there for free. But Ananias started arguing with God. God, do you know who this man is? I've heard of him. I know what he's done. I know the baggage he carries. And I hear he's got papers. And what the Lord says in the book of Acts chapter number 19 about Saul. He said, he is a chosen vessel unto me. The Lord didn't call him a persecutor you got to understand, Saul was the same young man that held the coats while they stoned Stephen. It started out with him just holding coats. And then he started doing what the people he was hanging out with was doing. Your circle matters. And then he found himself persecuting Christians. Imprisoning them. God never labeled him by those things. The Lord told Ananias, he said, I know what he's done, but he's a chosen vessel. So Ananias goes and he prays for him. And it's beautiful when you understand what the meaning of Ananias' name is. The name Ananias translated to mean, the Lord has been gracious. 
the very first thing Saul is able to see is the grace and the mercy of God. And somebody in this room, you've been blinded by the marred imperfections of your vessel, by the mistakes that you've made by the failures that have happened, by being in the church and out of the church and letting this take you out and letting this happen and letting this go wrong. I've come to tell somebody in this room right now, God's ready to mend the marred vessel. God's ready to mend the marred vessel. His tears are running down cheeks in this room right now. Because there are saints of God in this room that you are silently, I don't know why that has been in my spirit right now, silently suffering. Sitting in a place of restoration. Sitting in the only place that could take care of it in a moment's time. And we silently suffer week in and week out. I've come to tell you it's time for the suffering to be over. As God's about to mend minds in this room. I'm thankful for what God did this morning. I'm thankful for two souls that were added to the kingdom. But what God did this morning, He paved the way for restoration to happen in this room right now. It's okay. Go ahead and let that break right now. Go ahead. You're not by yourself. Let that break right now. Go ahead, elders, saying to God, the devil's lying to our elders to make you think you've lost value just because you can't do what you used to do, just because you can't run like you used to run. You can't shout like you used to shout. Don't you dare let the devil tell you you lost value. There's young men that still need elders like you to hold on to the faith, to stand and say, I've still got a testimony to stand and testify that God still restores God still renews there's some of you right now all you're waiting on is somebody to break the ice I wonder if I got an icebreaker right now that'll just step into the altar ha there's a shift in the atmosphere right now Ezekiel stood in a valley of dry bones where there was no faith, there was no hope, there was no validation, there was no support system. But when the Lord gave him the word and said, Son of man, speak, prophesy, and he began to speak to the winds to blow. And as the winds began to blow, restoration swept through that valley, and God raised up an army. And in this room right now, I speak for the winds of restoration and renewing to blow across this sanctuary. I speak to minds to be healed, souls to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. I know we took a long way to get here, but somebody just let your brokenness out. Stop suffering by yourself. Stop suffering alone in isolation. You are not an island unto yourself, but your help's coming right now. You're going to feel the peace of God begin to sweep through your mind right now. I'm not talking about when somebody comes and lays their hand on you. 
but I'm talking about right now in this moment by the authority of the word of God I speak peace into your mind and I speak for it to flow into your spirit right now in Jesus name go ahead and lift your hands lifted hands is not only a sign of surrender that's a universal sign that says I surrender is lifted hands but not only is it a sign of surrender but a proclamation unto God that I release and now I'm ready to receive. I release the brokenness. I release the hurt. I surrender the pain. I surrender the failures. And God, now I'm ready to receive restoration. I'm ready to receive renewing in my mind, renewing in my spirit. <laughs> 